Welcome to the Dear Rochester Retire Well Podcast with David Pulsini from Six Point Financial Partners. In this podcast, find your path towards a brighter financial future with David as your guide as he helps individuals, educators, and healthcare professionals explore ways they can build wealth while minimizing risk using a multifaceted, comprehensive approach to personal finance. Are you ready to take the first step towards a brighter financial tomorrow? Let's get started. Folks, welcome back. I want to get right into it today with Rick Waddell. He is currently the Chief Investment Officer at RFG. And I wanted to give everyone a sense of what someone that does what Rick does is thinking about in the markets and obviously with investments right now. So as I've said many times, investment planning is one of the six points of financial planning, which is where our firm name came from. So I wanted to get Rick on today to dive into his world a little bit. Quick background on Rick, because he won't say this himself, and I don't blame him because it sounds too good to be true, Rick. You were magna cum laude at Harvard, number one in your class at the Stanford Business School. You spent over a decade at Mitt Romney's firm, Bain Capital, and you helped manage a $30 billion fund. And now you are the CIO at RFG. How much can you take out of your current investments and never run out of money? When is the absolute best time to take Social Security? Are you 100% confident in your investment strategy? Are you paying too much in taxes? Why? If something were to happen to you today, what would they find? If you are doubting any of this and would like a second opinion or to review these items, along with many more, feel free to reach out to us. You can visit us at www.sixpointsfp.com or email us at info at sixpointfp.com. Back to the show. How are you today, sir? I'm good, man. And Is I that weird to hear? The, <laughs> I, you know, it's weird. Every morning when I wake up, I hear from my kids exactly what I might have messed up in the preceding 24 hours. But then when I get to get on one of these podcasts or do a presentation or something else like that, I get the intro, right? And somebody says like, here's a list of his accomplishments. And it makes me feel better about myself. Always a pleasure to be on the podcast and will sign up whenever you would like me to. You guys. So, so, okay. A lot of folks are saying, wow, how, do, how does that happen? So why don't you just dive into your background, where you came from and where you where, how you got to where you're at now? Yeah, absolutely. I, uh, I grew up in a little town called Mountain Brook, Alabama. It's a little suburb of Birmingham. And, you know, I got the opportunity to go to Harvard and that was amazing. And like any good story, there's a girl involved. You know, when I was graduating from college, I was dating a young woman at the time that was from Boston and she wanted to stay local in Boston. And I took a job in Boston to kind of be near her. And we broke up three months after graduation. But at that point, you have the job and you can't exactly go to your boss three months in and be like, well, the girlfriend didn't work out. So we're moving on. The firm that I joined right out of college was at the time a startup. It was Bain Capital Credit. We were known as Sankity Advisors at the time. I was employee number 14. We had about $300 million under management. And you know, it was, it was just a rocket ship. By the time I left, we had $30 billion under management, 200 plus employees with sort of six offices on four continents. Along the way, they sent me off to business school to sharpen up some, some business analytics skills yep. and brought me back. And you know, at the time, 
time of my departure, I was the head of consumer fixed income and assistant portfolio manager for our CLO business. So it was a wild ride. It was a super fun ride. And I got to the point where I was in my late 30s with three kids all under the age of 10. Um, that I saw for maybe 10 hours a week while they were awake. And so I decided that it was time to unplug a little bit. Not a lot of bit, but a little bit. And uh, there was a firm here in Birmingham called RFG that was looking for a chief investment officer. I won't get into too much of the history of RFG, but I will just let you know. At the time, we looked very different and they really needed somebody to take over the investment function and rebuild it from the ground up and really bring institutional investing to their client base. And so we spent the part of sort of for the past five, six years building that up, which has been fantastic. It's also fantastic because this office is a 10 minute drive from my house. And so I get to spend a lot more time with my kids than I used to. It's just been great all around. Yeah. Uh, you know, now we manage right at a billion five in overall client assets managed directly by Bluemont, which is the the strategies that I run. And RFG itself is right at about three and a half, four billion in total assets and management. It's quite a quite a quite a nice transition. Yeah, well, it, it sounds like it. So, what does somebody? I mean, for this is for the listeners out there. What do you do all day, Rick? <laughs> <laughs> it's different. There, there is no typical day. So, we're we we pursue strategic asset allocation. You will hear me say very very frequently. We we don't believe anybody has a crystal ball. We don't believe that it's possible to necessarily time when you can jump into the market and when you can jump out of the market. And that candidly, there are a lot of snake oil salesmen that would like to tell you that they've got the answer when in fact they actually don't. And in fact, you're putting yourself in a in a risky position by trying to pursue that strategy. We don't believe that's the path to happiness. That doesn't mean how. However, that we're not constantly evaluating the funds and investments that we choose to decide whether or not they're appropriate for the investors that we, we place them in. We are constantly looking for ways to optimize the portfolios in terms of the asset mix that is out there, constantly looking at whether or not it's time for a rebalance, whether it's not it's time for some tax loss harvesting, whether it's not all the sort of nuts and bolts within the portfolios that sort of it's picking up pennies and grinding out little little improvements, but little improvements compounded over time make a lot of difference in returns. We spend a lot of time doing that and a lot of time, candidly, talking and interacting with clients and explaining to them exactly what we do and why we believe at least that a strategic asset allocation or kind of set it and forget it, not set it and forget it, but a, yeah. a standard allocation to the market is a, is the right approach. It's a, it's a mixed bag. Yeah. So if I, if I'm listening to this and I want to know how Rick can help, I, I have a couple, I have so many questions just from that. Like, can you explain in simple terms? I know you can, what strategic asset allocation is number one, and then quickly, number two, because I know we could dive into this in probably way too much detail. You mentioned tax loss harvesting. Yep. Tell us about what that is. Okay. We'll start with strategic asset allocation first. There's, there's kind of two schools of thought as you approach the market. Tactical investing, which is not what we do, is this notion of, hey, I can figure out when I should be invested and when I shouldn't be invested. And so I'm going to jump around from asset class to asset class or from stocks to bonds or stocks to cash or whatever it might be and just kind of try and time the market effectively. And I think it's it's silly for a number of reasons. I've been on, I've been on the podcast or on, on other podcasts on 
record is just sort of saying, hey, look at 2020, the year of COVID. I'm going to start at the very beginning of the year. I'm going to tell you that all of these things are going to be true, right? You're going to get a massive global pandemic. GDP is going to contract by 30%. You're going to have no cure for the end of it by the end of the year. And in fact, almost everyone is still going to be locked in their homes by December at, at the end of the year. Unemployment is going to spike to 15 plus percent and have not recovered, et cetera, et cetera. Oh, and by the way, the election result is going to wind up with Democrats seizing control of all houses of, of, of Congress and, and the presidency. Do you want all those things are true? Like all those things are true and they happened in 2020. And if I told you that all of that was true and it was going to happen in 2020 at the beginning of the year and said, okay, you've got now got perfect insight into what's going to happen for the year. Do you want to be invested aggressively or do you want to be invested conservatively, right? Like nearly everyone is going to be like, oh, I should be conservative. And the answer was that's wrong, right? Because the market actually had one of its better years in 2020. So a tactical investor would attempt to sort of read through the tea leaves and I don't know, construct some sort of complicated analytical model, or maybe it's just some guy's intuition or whatever it might be about whether or not you should be in the market or out of the market. Um, a strategic investor just says, hey, you know, I don't think any of that works, right? Like, I think that if it ever does work, it's luck as opposed to skill. You're not able to predict these types of events in the market. And so instead, what we're going to do is if we acknowledge that we can't predict it, then we can build an asset allocation that takes that unpredictable nature into account. Everybody likes to knock on the classic 60-40 portfolio, but a 60-40 portfolio is a strategic asset allocation. And we can get smarter than that. We can tweak those percentages. We can look at, you know, what is the components, what are the components of your equity portfolio? How much international should you have? How much large cap versus small? How much growth versus value? And we can do that in kind of a scientific way to try and reduce as much unnecessary volatility out of the portfolio as we can. But that's what a strategic asset allocator does is say, look, I'm going to build an allocation. And that allocation is intended to be used in all market conditions, not just when I think the market might be good or when I think the market might be bad. I'm going to build one that's designed to be all weather. And then I don't have to worry about whether or not it's going to rain or not. So that's, that's the idea behind strategic asset allocation. On the tax loss harvesting side, this is this idea that there is never a reason to carry a position where you have a taxable loss over the end of a tax year, right? So I invest in 20 different securities. If midway through the year or at the end of the year, we look down and we notice that, hey, 15 of those have gains, but five of them have losses. If I don't do anything, then everything just sits in a big unrealized pot and the IRS never knows that anything happened. If instead I just sell the five losers and reinvest those proceeds into something else that looks kind of like them, then I can recognize the loss. I can turn that unrealized loss into a realized loss. I don't have to do anything with the gains on the other side of the portfolio. You just show up with this realized loss at the end of your tax year that you can use to offset whether you had some capital gains because you took some distributions or maybe you just carry it forward to the next year. You can take $3,000, which sounds small, but you can take 3,000 of it and offset it against your current year income if you don't have other gains. 
But it's basically this notion of like, why let a loss be unrealized? By realizing it, you always add value to yourself from a tax standpoint. And it's just those little things that if your current, your advisor should be doing as part of professional, as a, of a professionally managed portfolio in taxable accounts. There's no reason not to. Yeah. But, and you, you do all of this. Because if I'm a listener, yeah. I'm like, I don't want to deal with this. This is what Rick does. No, no, okay. no, no, no. And you know, it's it's funny. I make this joke a lot. Anybody can do what I do. You know, like it doesn't, you, you could go to school and learn how to build these portfolios and spend some time in your local library studying the tax code and figuring it out. But why in God's name would you want to? Our clients who trust us with their money to be like, well, that's what I'm paying the guy who went to these Ivy League schools and everything else like that to do for me so that I instead can be, I don't know, making dinner or playing golf or going fishing or whatever it might be. Because why would you want, like, my job is not that interesting at the end of the day, right? Like, I mean, <laughs> it, I mean it's fun, don't get me wrong, but I have an odd personality. For most retirees, like, why, why would you ever want to spend your days doing that? Yeah. Yeah. I hear one of our advisors often says, you need to have the skill, the will, and the time to do this stuff. Right. And if That's you're missing one of those, you don't want to do it. And it, the skill, the time, and the will, like it's, yeah. I, I, mean, I don't, I, I wouldn't want to do it if I were a client. That's why we have you on this podcast. Right. That's exactly right. Um, That's exactly right. When, when you're doing this, do you have, when you're managing money for clients, you have, it's unlike some fund managers where they have their fund. It is their fund. They have their, and it's their fund is their fund. You operate a little bit differently where you have conservative investments all the way through more aggressive portfolios. Can you, can you explain that a little bit too? Yeah, we are a, what I like to call, or the industry likes to call a manager of managers and or a manager of other alternative sort of, pro, not alternative, other products that are out there. We use predominantly mutual funds and ETFs. None of them are proprietary products. You will find them on all major exchanges. They are super, super liquid. And you know we like to tell people like, it's our job to choose from the universally available securities that are out there um, an appropriate and hopefully the best or a custom tailored uh, mix of securities for you, right? And our in our opinion, we're trying to construct the best portfolio that we can for you. We do that with sort of off-the-shelf components because when you start to get into proprietary stuff, you generally start to incur costs. Um, and one of the tenets of strategic asset allocation is, hey, uh, let's try and get costs as low as we can and, and cut, out, cut out waste where we can. To your point, every investor that comes to us can get, I'll call it a model tailored to them. Whatever their needs are, we can then look at that client and say, okay, you should get a little bit of this group of investments and a little bit of this group investments and a little bit of that group of investments and really put together a portfolio that blends not just how much risk does the client want to take, but how does the client want to get returns? Do they want to get returns in dividends and interest or do they want to get returns in terms of capital appreciation? We're not miracle workers. We take we have to take what the market gives us. So don't ask. I can't construct a portfolio that has a 10% interest yield or dividend yield. And believe me, you wouldn't want me to anyway. But on the margin, when we've got our super young clients that are savers and they're growing and it's like, okay, well, you just want to see growth in capital over time. And candidly, dividends and interest are maybe a little bit of a tax problem for you. You'd rather just not recognize that income if you don't have to. 
that's perfect. So we can gear up a portfolio that looks great for them. And then for more of our retirees that say, look, I want that monthly check. I want that monthly dividend and interest check. I like to know that it's there. Uh, well, then we can set that up as well within reason, or at least gear more of the return out of the portfolio out of those types of assets. We're not looking to be, oh, hey, Rick has his 10 funds that everybody gets. That's, that's not the way that we manage. That's not the way that we manage client portfolios. A quick interruption. Six Point Financial Partners is taking on new clients. If you would like to take the next step in planning your future with Dave or the Six Point team, please visit them at www.sixpointfp.com to schedule a time or reach out via LinkedIn, Facebook, or simply find us on the internet by searching Six Point Financial Partners. Okay, back to the show. Yeah, good for you. So you mentioned that nobody has a crystal ball, but I'm going to ask because you're on this podcast right now. Give us, and I know you could talk about this for hours and hours, but basically, because if again, if I'm a listener, what's going on in the markets currently? And it's it's August 10th of 2022. What's going on currently? And then you have to ask the crystal ball question, Rick. Or how are we going to end the rest of this year? Okay, <laughs> I love it. that question's the most fun. So look, we we came through 2021, massive inflation. Everybody thought that the supply chain was going to come along and save us, right? Because when you think about inflation, I like to think about point of sale. So uh, you have a hundred people that show up to buy a car. You've only got 50 cars on the lot. Uh, you're going to wind up with inflation because you got to outbid the you got the the 51st person is walking away without a car, right? So. For a long time, we thought the supply chain was going to save us by solving that problem by getting 100 cars on the lot. Uh, and we looked at them for the better part of a year and a half and said, hey, we need more vehicles and not just vehicles, but everything else that's out there. And the supply chain has effectively looked at us and said, oops. So the way that we've decided that we're going to solve this inflation problem is on the demand side by trying to cool off the economy, right? The Fed uses these benign terms like we're just going to cool it off or we're going to slow it down. And it sounds nice. Uh, but the reality is, is that the Fed wants to make everybody less inclined to spend money, which is they want to make everybody slightly less happy, which is fine, right? It looks like we're in the process of starting to cool off a little bit on the inflation number. That data certainly came out this morning, and that's good. Inflation, just so we're all clear, if you, if you give me the choice between do you want a minor recession or do you want inflation to hang around for a decade, the choice is always, I'll take the minor recession, please. Thank you. Yeah. Um, and that was really the lesson that we learned from the 1970s when the Fed kind of lacked the backbone to push us into a contraction in order to stop recession. This Fed appears to be knowledgeable enough to know, nope, we're going to stamp it out. Market now is convinced that I think that we're going to get inflation under control. And the real question is, are we going to get a soft landing as we get inflation under control? Uh, so no recession or maybe a very mild one, um, or is it going to be a little bit more of a hard landing? And I think the information that we saw today maybe fuels the debate a little bit on, okay, well, maybe we can cool off inflation without necessarily having to put 7% of the population out of work. And, and we'll see. Uh, we'll see how that process develops. How the market trades over the next six months? <laughs> is really a question of like, well, do we have to put 7% of the population out of work or not, right? And the answer is nobody knows. Anybody who thinks that they have a crystal ball on this is probably silly. In this industry, I like to joke, most people, when you ask when is the next recession is going to happen, they'll give you an answer that's anywhere from, you know, 
the next 12 to 18 months look pretty good, but after that we could be risky because it's the perfect amount of time. 18 months from now, you won't remember that I said this. So, you know, it's absolutely the perfect amount of time to give you in terms of a forecast for a recession because it's it's close enough that if the recession happens in 18 months, I can call up this podcast and be like, oh my God, I was a genius. It's far enough away that if I don't remind you that I said it, you will have forgotten that I said it, which is great. Here, you know, recession risk is probably a little closer than that, probably more like six to 12 months out. That's what the, the, the risk indicators are kind of showing us. And we'll just see if we have to have one or not. But I would just remind everybody out here, we're strategic asset allocators. I know everybody likes to remember the 2000 2001 and the 2008 recessions. Most recessions don't look like that. In fact, those two recessions were amongst the worst recorded in history. And so you really need to... Recessions are normal. They happen every couple of years. Depending on your age, you will go through not just one, but probably two or three or four more over the course of your lifetime. And if you're a strategic asset allocator, your kind of takeaway from here is, well, I built the portfolio to kind of go through these things when they're unexpected. I don't really need to make a call on whether or not one's going to happen or not. This is the reason why we build the portfolios the way we do. Yeah, I love it. And, and obviously, you know this, Rick, as financial advisors, the folks that are really, really worried about a recession maybe shouldn't be invested the way that they are, right? Maybe they should make some changes. And if you're invested properly with your advisor, this is not so much of a big deal as the 2008, 2001. I think people have become much more educated on the downturns and what the in what we've seen, right? I, I think that's exactly correct. I, I like to use the analogy of, hey, recessions happen. If you are invested in the market, it is the moral equivalent of I have built my house in a floodplain, right? I know it's gonna flood. I know it's gonna flood. I built my house here. I have historical data. I can see that floods happen. And the time to prepare for the flood is not when it starts raining right? If I have instead prepped my house with the sump pump and adequate drainage around the house and this and that and the other and whatever else it is that I need to do to prep my house for the fact that floods happen, then I don't necessarily need to be that worried about when it starts raining, right? Yeah. It's a stretched analogy, but I think the same holds true in investment world. We know recessions are going to happen and we know that they're unpredictable. So why scare yourself and be freaked out about it? Instead, if you could just build your portfolios to where you're comfortable in a lot of different market conditions, then it, it removes a whole lot of stress out of your life. Yeah, I love it. And it's not a stretch analogy at all. I, it completely makes sense. So uh, Rick, if people, I know you're a busy guy, if people want to find you or get a hold of you or see what you're doing, how do they make that happen? Awesome. Well, we, and I believe we can maybe even put a little plug on a website somewhere, but if you go to rfgadvisory.com, if you Google us, RFG Advisory, if you Google me, Rick Waddell, you will find a link to a YouTube channel. I never, ever thought that I would have a YouTube <laughs> channel, by the way. My kids think I'm really cool. And my mom watches my YouTube channel, which is hilarious. But yeah, I have a YouTube channel where we get out there and do not as quite as involved a podcast as this, but we do kind of three, four, five minute videos about once every week with just what's going on in the market and our sort of house take on all that kind of fun stuff. So tune in there, subscribe, like us. We certainly appreciate it. 
yeah. and appreciate the ability to give everybody a shameless plug. The the other thing is you can always email me. If you, it's, it's rwidell at rfgadvisory.com. You can reach out to your advisor. Almost everybody who's going to see this content is affiliated with an RFG advisor. You can reach out to your advisor. They can get in touch with me that way. I'm not hard to find. And one of the things that I love, one of the things that we pride ourselves on at RFG is education of not just of our clients, really. 90% of the value that we add is stopping our clients from making bad decisions. And uh, a whole lot of that comes from education. Please, 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 please reach out to me. Yeah. Send me an email, subscribe to the channel, however you want to get in touch with me, and I will get back to you. How do you spell Waddell? W-E-D-E-L-L. Two E's, two L's, one D. There, there it is, folks. Rick, I, I appreciate the time again. We'll, we'll definitely get you back on to talk more. Folks, if you have anything, any questions, or if you need anything, reach out to me, dpolsini at 6pointfp.com or 6pointfp.com on the website and check us out there. For now, make it a great day. Thank you for listening to the Dear Rochester Retire Well podcast. Click the subscribe button below to be notified when new episodes become available. The information covered and posted represents the views and opinions of the guest and does not necessarily represent the views or opinions of Six Point Financial Partners. The content has been made available for informational and educational purposes only. The content is not intended to be a substitute for professional investing advice. Always seek the advice of your financial advisor or other qualified financial service provider with any questions you may have regarding your investment planning. Content here is for illustrative and educational purposes only. It is not legal, tax, or individualized financial advice, nor is it a recommendation to buy, sell, or hold any specific security or engage in any specific trading strategy. Results will vary. Past performance is no indication of future results or success. Market conditions change continuously. This commentary reflects the personal opinions, viewpoints, and analysis of Six Point Financial Partners. It does not necessarily represent those of RFG advisory, private client services, their clients, or their employees. This commentary should not be regarded as a description of advisory services provided by Six Point Financial Partners or RFG advisory or performance returns of any client. The views reflected in the commentary are subject to change at any time without notice. Securities offered by registered representatives of private client services, member FINRA SIPC. Advisory services offered by investment advisory representatives of RFG Advisory, a registered investment advisor. Private client services, Six Point Financial Partners, and RFG Advisory are unaffiliated entities. Advisory services are only offered to clients or prospective clients where RFG Advisory and its representatives are properly licensed or exempt from licensure. No advisory services may be rendered by RFG Advisory unless a client agreement is in place.